Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast with me, Phil Saker. This is the first podcast of 2024, but we're going to be uh, continuing where we left off in the book of Romans. This time we've reached chapter 11. Now this passage is one of those passages which is a little bit infamous because of Paul's words about all Israel being saved. What does he really mean by that? Well, the point that Paul is making is not so much about Israel, but about pride and how pride is something that we all need to beware of. So that's what we're going to be thinking about in this sermon. And just to let you know as well that if you would like to support Understand the Bible, there is a page all down below. Don't forget, if you're able to, to leave me a rating, even a review in your podcast provider. That would be really, really appreciated and helpful. And uh, don't forget that there is more content available on the YouTube channel. This week, uh, it's just the sermon. If you prefer to watch that rather than listen on the podcast, it's available on YouTube. But the rest of the content will be resuming shortly, uh, hopefully from next week on the YouTube channel. So do have a look at that if you haven't already. And there's lots more content available uh, in the archive. So thanks so much, everyone. God bless. And I will see you again soon. Pride is one of the things, one of those sins which is so kind of fundamental that that some people have said that pride is actually the root of every sin. Now pride is such a, a big deal and we've come across pride several times as we've gone through the book of Romans haven't we? You know we've thought about for example how the Jews were proud because they were given the law and they thought that their righteousness was so perfect in and of itself, that their obedience was so perfect that they didn't need Jesus effectively. That's That's what they thought. That was pride. Well, what we're going to come on to today is the way that the, the Gentiles actually had a kind of reverse pride. They had a sort of reverse pride, which came from thinking that they were chosen by God by grace and not other people. And pride, that's the thing with pride, isn't it? It, it can strike us in lots of, of, of different ways. It can affect us even if we think that you know, um, we, are, we are beyond it. So let's look into what what Romans chapter 11 has to say. Let's look into what Paul has to say. And just to let you know, if you've been following this series, you'll notice the uh, the different surroundings. Um, this is the new, what I'm gonna call the studio, if that doesn't sound too pretentious. Um, but at the moment, it doesn't have very much in it. So I apologize if it sounds a little bit echoey. Um, that will change over time, I promise you. But um, I just apologize today if it sounds a little bit echoey. So Paul, he starts out with the question that he's, uh, he's going to sort of be answering in this section. He says, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, I asked then, did God reject his people? That was the, perhaps what some of the Gentiles were thinking. Ah, well, God has just rejected his people. The Jews don't have any part to play in God's plans anymore. And that's maybe what some of them were, uh, were saying. And Paul says, by no means, I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. You know, Paul says, well, I'm an Israelite. So if God's rejected the Jews, then he's rejected me, which is clearly not the case, uh, he says. He says, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. So that's, you know, it's not the case that God rejected his people at all. But then he turns to the example of Elijah 
to demonstrate what is happening. He says, don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God uh, against Israel? He says, they killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. And God replies to him, I've reserved myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So as far back as Elijah, then Elijah thought that he was the only one, the only faithful Israelite left. But God says to him, well, I have preserved uh, 7,000. No, he preserved a remnant for himself. Now, this is, Paul goes on to argue that this is the case that, uh, of what was happening in his day as well. And so he says, verse 5, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. So Paul says that God has, in the same way that he worked back in Elijah's day, when there were only, it seemed, a small number of faithful Israelites, so too God has preserved a remnant in Paul's day, where there was a small faithful number of Israelites. And Paul says that this choice is, it's God's choice by grace, not by, not by works. It's not something which they earn. So again, Paul just gets that in there again, you know, saying to, to the Jews, look, you, you know, if you're, you belong to Christ, it's not because you've earned your salvation, but it is solely because of God's grace. And that's what he says. And it, I think this you might think, well, why, Paul, are you, are, you, are you repeating yourself? You've been saying this all the way through. But I think it's so important to hear again and again, isn't it? This message of grace, this, this message that we don't earn our salvation. Because right through from being a child, you know, we are taught that we earn everything we have. You know, children are taught that if they just simply apply themselves, they'll get good grades. And you know, not, not really much thought is, is given to their, you know, their aptitude, their, their sort of intellectual gifts, their family circumstances, and, and, and so on and so forth, all of the advantages that they might have. The outcome is largely placed on, you know, the individual and how hard they work and, and how much they wanted it and so on and so forth. And that's the case right through life, isn't it? You know, that so often our success is you know, portrayed as being just down to us and how hard we work and how much we deserve it. That's not the case with God. And that's the message that Paul needs to repeat again and again, because otherwise we'll just go back into, into thinking that we've earned it. And it's very easy to do, and we'll see why in a second it's important for him uh, to stress that. So he goes on in verses 11 to 24, and I apologise, by the way, if I am skipping through this quite quickly. It's, it's quite a long passage, so I'm just going to sort of pick out um, the, the important, the kind of the big picture, if you like. Um, but Paul, in this next section, says that the Jews are not beyond recovery. Uh, and, and he says there, verse 11, again, I ask, did they some stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Are they beyond the pale now? Are they beyond redemption? And he says, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So we, are, we see again this idea that Paul has already 
um, mentioned back in chapter 10, verse 19, this idea that the Gentiles coming to Christ and coming to salvation uh, is to make the Jews envious. You know, so by seeing the salvation coming to the Gentiles, they would then become envious and actually want that salvation for themselves. So that's, uh, that's what Paul is, is talking about. And we already talked a little bit about that last time. Um, and then he says, uh, but if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? He says that you know, they, they shouldn't be excluded from the hope of salvation. They shouldn't be seen as beyond the pale because actually their full inclusion will bring great riches. And he goes on to talk about the blessings that come from their inclusion. Uh, so he says in verse 13 to, to 16, I'm talking to you Gentiles. Uh, he takes pride in his ministry again, talking about arousing some of his own people to envy and saving, saving them. It just goes to show how much he loved his, his own people. Um, and then he says, if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So Paul here introduces this analogy of the, the roots and the branches. Now, if you think that God's people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, were the, the, the root that he brought about, Jesus, you know, the, the root of the, the salvation of the world, and the, the Gentiles are sort of like the, the branches. And he says, if the root is healthy, then so are the branches. You know, if, if the roots believe and trust and have faith in God, then that blessing, if you like, will kind of spread to the whole, the whole tree. And um, he, he, he says, he sort of develops this root and branch analogy. And he says in verses um, 17 and 18, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in, uh, do not consider yourselves superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. Now, I think here this is kind of leads into to the heart of why Paul is saying what he's saying. I think what was happening was that there were Gentiles in the, the church in Rome who were saying, well, God's chosen us and he's rejected his own people, the Jews. So we are superior to them. I think that is the problem that Paul is writing in order to, to, to combat. And that was, that was a wrong attitude. And this is what he's saying. He says, no, you need to remember your place. You need to remember that you're the branches and that they are, they are the roots. You know, you're not superior to them, which is not to say they are superior to you, but rather you are all part of the same tree if you, you know, you want to continue in that, in that metaphor. Um, and then he, he says, he kind of speaks more directly, verses 19 to 21. You will say then branches are broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So what Paul says here 
He says, what's happened to the Jews should serve as a warning to us and as a lesson for us. He says, they, they were um, broken away because of their unbelief, because they did not believe in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ. And he says that we should look at them and say, well, that means we need to be careful that we believe in Jesus, the Messiah, rather than resting on our laurels and just presuming, well, God's chosen us, therefore we are fine. This is what Paul says elsewhere uh, in 1 Corinthians, uh, just the next book, actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. He says, these things happen to them, that is in the Old Testament, to the Jews as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So Paul says everything that happened to the the Jewish people through the Old Testament was written down as a warning for us because we too need to guard ourselves against unbelief and we need to take care that what has happened to them does not also happen to us because it could happen to us. And Paul's point is that if it happened to the natural branches, then um, you know it could happen to the engrafted branches uh, as well. And so we need to take care. Rather than looking down on other people, we need to take care that we don't become like them. That is Paul's point here. It's not about pride in ourselves, but it is about learning and, and humility. And, you know, this is something which I, I call um, reverse pride. I mentioned that at the start. But you know, this attitude that, you know, the, the, the Gentiles were not thinking that they were saved because of their good works, but they were thinking, well, we've been chosen by God. And therefore, those Jews over there who haven't been chosen by God, we are better than them. And, you know, it's just the same kind of pride, isn't it? But but in a different form. So I call it reverse pride, but it is just pride. And it's so easy to happen, isn't it? But this is how pride gets you. You know, pride can hit you, whether you're rich or, or poor, whether you're high status or low status, or there could be a kind of perverse pride in, in everything. I think there is a, a sort of perverse pride in being a minority, in fact, and in being a persecuted group. And sadly, we've seen many examples through history of this, of, of how small persecuted minorities have then you know, become a, a bigger uh, group have got political power and become a, the persecutors. Uh, for example, you think about the gay rights movement back in the um, mid, mid to late 20th century and how you know, that they started out as a persecuted minority and then as they gained kind of political traction uh, in the last, you know, 10, 20 years or so, then they have become a persecuting majority. That now they don't just want equal rights, but they want to actually persecute anyone, you know, to forbid anyone from holding a traditional view about marriage and to, to persecute uh, those people. And that's how it happens. You know, that, that, that pride kind of sets in about being a persecuted minority and then excuses uh, the behaviour when you become, you know, um, a, a majority or, or gain power. Now, pride can hit everyone. And that's Paul's point, that we all need to have humility 
And so this is why he finishes this section by saying, verses 22 to 24, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. And he again uses the analogy of the natural branches and the unnatural ones, saying surely the, the natural branches can be grafted back in again, if you, the unnatural ones, could be. So Paul says, look, don't look down on other people because it, it appears that they have not been chosen by God. Uh, and in this case, it was, it was the Jews. But he was saying, look, uh, you know, God is able to bring them back in again. If you... Uh, if you disbelieve, you know, if you, you grow in your hardness of heart, then God can cut you off as well. So it's a warning. It's rather than looking at other people and saying, oh, aren't we good because God's chosen us and not them. We need to look at them and, and you know, with, with compassion and, you know, look at it with sober judgment as a warning upon ourselves with some self-reflection too. That's what Paul is saying to us we need to remember our place we need to remember that God did not choose us because we were worthy and we need to uh, persist in in believing and trusting him rather than um, letting our hearts grow hard in these uh, these next verses verses 25 to 32 Paul well these verses have, have become somewhat controversial because Paul says all Israel will be saved and this, this verse, more than any other, I think, has been picked up by uh, Christian Zionists you know, to talk about how you know, Israel needs, that there needs to be a political action to, to bring this about. And I don't think that, that is at all what Paul is saying. But what does he mean? Well, let's read what these verses say, these first uh, couple of verses. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters so that you may not be conceited. So that's the first thing to, to get, that Paul kind of states what he is saying this all for, so that you may not be conceited. That's the first most important thing to understand, so that you may not be conceited. Since Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, what does Paul mean here by all Israel? I think we get a clue if we turn back to what he says in chapter 9, verse 6, where he says, um, Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. So what Paul has been arguing all the way through Romans is that there is a true Israel and then there are the physical descendants of, uh, of Israel. And the physical descendants are not the true Israel. And I think that is what Paul is saying here. He is talking about the elect, those who have been chosen by God to, uh, out, of, out of Israel, out of the descendants of, of Israel, to belong to him. So I don't think he's talking about all Jews all who you know are descended from 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 Abraham you no know, the world over but he's talking about all the elect 
those who have been chosen by God. I believe that's that's what he means here. He's not saying that there is a special way of salvation, you know, just for, for Jewish people, that they, they can be saved without Jesus or, or something like that. But that ultimately God will bring in those who believe and trust in him, the full number, those who believe and trust in him. You know, that's that's what needs to happen. Um, so it's not saying there is a special way of salvation or that, you know, God is just going to save the entirety of the Jewish people as, you know, those who um, are, are descendants of, of Abraham. If that kind of makes sense. Um, there's a lot to talk about. We don't really have the time to go into it. So so let's uh, let's move on, because I, I really actually don't think that that's the the main thing that Paul wants to get across. So he goes on verses 28 to 31. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. So Paul says it's all part of God's plan. He says they've become dis- uh, disobedient for you so that you know the gospel might come to, to you, the Gentiles. But then as a result of the mercy that's God's shown to you, uh, we trust that you know, God will show mercy to them too. That, you know, that becoming envious, you know, that's what he, he talked about before. So that there is both things are kind of part of God's plan. Rather than looking at, at others and seeing, you know, well, God's rejected them, well, they must be worthless then. Actually, what Paul is saying is, no, it's part of God's plan and God has a plan to bring blessing and to bring people back to him. And he summarises actually in this last verse, verse 32. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. That's what Paul says is, is the way that God works. He has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. That's the thing that God binds people over to disobedience so that it, his mercy might be shown more brightly and more clearly. And we see this all the way through the Bible that, you know, people serve God's plans one way or another. We saw that actually in, in Jesus, didn't we? How you know, at the cross, you know, it was disobedience, but actually it led to the salvation uh, through Jesus Christ. And this is, uh, this is what I think Paul is, is saying that, you know, God, the light of God's mercy is shown through human disobedience and that it is actually part somehow miraculously part of God's plan and that is why Paul concludes this chapter with this doxology you know he's been talking for uh, 11 chapters about the glory of the gospel and about the, the wonders of God's working the mysteries of God's plan and he just can't help himself break into praise and he you know says oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Now, who has ever given advice to God? None of us can give advice to God. None of us know better than him. But for from him and through him and for him are all things, because everything belongs 
to God at the end of the day. You know, God's plan prevails, that he has a plan. And that is the plan that happens. That is the plan that prevails. And we don't give advice to God about, about his plans. Now, I hope that as we've been going through that you've spotted a few things which have been helpful and there are maybe a few things to remember there and a few things to think about for, for uh, how we live this coming week. But I'd like to draw on a draw on just a couple of things to, you know, just to clarify and to perhaps give us something to get our teeth into, to be thinking about the rest of today and, and in this coming week. The first thing is a warning against pride, even against this kind of reverse pride that I've been talking about. You know, because it, yes, Paul is, does warn us against pride in thinking ourselves, you know, morally righteous because of our own efforts. But there's also a pride that can come if you think that God's chosen me. And we must guard against both uh, kinds of pride. You know, that actually, you know, we, we can have a kind of perverse pride in being a minority, can't we? You know, that you know, we're a small elite group, um, God's chosen us, or, you know, we've got the special knowledge, which other people don't have. And the gospel says, no, we, we mustn't be proud in any, any way. Um, I think it's, it's interesting, actually, how you can sort of see this pride dynamic sometimes in groups. Who, I was thinking about, you know, perhaps people, for example, who believe that the moon landings were fake. And, um, you know, that I don't mean to pick on any, any group in particular, but I was just thinking, you know, a fairly perhaps a, a small group, but who think, well, we've seen the light and other people still haven't seen it. And, you know, thinking about that pride in, in ourselves that we've seen the light and they haven't. You know, it, it's possible to do that with Christianity. It's possible to think, well, we've seen the light and other people haven't. So we're better than them. And we mustn't do that. And we must remember that the gospel should be preached to everyone. The gospel should be preached to everyone. Jew, Gentile, male and female, you know, people from, from every nation, people, every barrier. The gospel, uh, everyone needs to hear the gospel. No one is beyond it. We're not better than anyone else. The second thing is that we need to be humble in the face of God's plans. We need to remember our place, as Paul kind of um, touches on several times in this passage. Let me read you what uh, Peter says uh, to Peter chapter 1 verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Confirm your calling and election. No, don't rest easy because you think that God's chosen you and therefore you don't actually have to make any effort. Now Paul says, no, if you've been chosen, and Peter says, if you've been chosen, then you will make every effort to confirm that. You know, you will uh, read the Bible, you will pray, you will seek the Lord, you will go to church, you will seek to act in, in, in God's ways. That's because that, that demonstrates that we have been called by God. Uh, so we mustn't think, well, I've been chosen by God, therefore I don't have to do anything. Now, that is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. And that is what I think the, the Gentiles in the church in Rome were doing as well. Now, they were thinking, well, we've been called by God, therefore we're better than them. And it just showed that they didn't understand at all. Remember what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
Now that's the attitude that we need to have to God at the end of the day, submitting ourselves to his will, not offering ourselves, uh, as we'll look at next week, as a living sacrifice. That is what we need to do. Now God doesn't follow our script. Now God doesn't have to do things in the way that we would like him to do. You know, the fact that we've been chosen means that we're chosen for his will and his purpose, not the other way round. And we need to we need to remember that. You know, we are on his side, he is not on ours. So we should um, be warned against pride, against pride of you know thinking that we are morally righteous by our own efforts. Also pride against thinking that we've been chosen and other people haven't. And we need to be humble in the face of God's plans and remember that you know God is God wants us to, to go to all nations and all people and no one is beyond the pale and we're not better uh, than others um, because we are members of the elect. Uh, I think it'd be good to finish um, just before we pray at the end I'm just going to read this doxology again as I think this is a good way of capping off this passage. Oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel, and we thank you, Lord, that uh, you have brought many people into uh, to saving faith, and we trust, Lord, that that includes uh, that includes us uh, if we believe and trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. And we pray that you would help us to guard against pride, and to guard against thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, and looking down on other people. And we pray that you would help us to be humble in the face of your plans, trusting that you have a plan and a place for all, Jew or Gentile, um, slave or free, or male or female, whatever situation we may be in, Lord, we trust that you would help us to be humble in the face of your plans and submit ourselves to you. So we pray that you would help us to think about these things rightly, even these, these complex things, and be with us in this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.